You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Welcome back to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Robert Smith. I'm your host. You know, we started out this season with a goal of telling the 2020 story for people from all over our industry. We've spoken with fair managers. We've spoken with marketing directors, with entertainers, with concessionaires, and even one of our ride operators. But one category of our service providers that this industry has that we have yet to speak with are entertainment agents. Today's guest is both an entertainer himself and an agent for artists and attractions. From his new home in Iowa, this is Kyle Palmer. Kyle, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. So real quick, before we get into things, we were looking to record last week, but you had a big change going on. I understand you and the family have some new digs there in Iowa. Tell us about that. We do. Uh, we finally, uh, after a, a long, <laughs> long stretch, uh, we're trying to figure out where we were going to land. Um, we finally decided to get ourselves uh, a home that we're going to stay in. So uh, this one doesn't have wheels. So that's an impositive, I guess. Right. No, no <laughs> wheels is probably better insulated than the ones with wheels. Now, where are you from in Iowa? Uh, we're in Dyersville. That's the home of the Field of Dreams. So ah, I've been there. A, yeah. Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Yep. That's it's, it's where we live. And we're probably about, I don't know, two, three miles from the Field of Dreams. It's just a everyday ball diamond in the middle of a cornfield that looks just like an everyday little legal diamond. But and thousands I, and thousands and thousands of people come every year to see and, it. So. And I understand the uh, the lady that bought it she's done some deals with major league baseball. They were building another stadium out there. They were actually supposed to have a major league game out at the field. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, they put in a temporary stadium on a different field next to the field of dreams. And they built this whole thing up. It was, it was like a fair, right? So they, 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 they go from just flat ground and they put together this entire temporary bleacher set up and, and build this whole thing for like, I think they were only going to have like 800 uh, people in attendance. They're probably going to charge an outrageous amount for a ticket. I don't of know. Of course. And I think it was supposed to be, it was going to be the White Sox who, of course, their, their team is the focus of the movie and what White Sox and Yankees or something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. They did just announce they're going to do it again next year. Crazy, but true. Once they canceled it, I expected everything just to stay where it was setting. Nope. They started tearing it all down and took it all back to zero and they're going to put it back up again next year. Wow. Well, that lady's got to have some money if she can afford to just build a stadium and then be like, nah, we're done and then build it again. Wow. In my, in my head, I think that everyone was thinking that, the, you know, that that COVID would lighten up uh, at some point and those portable bleachers would be utilized at other venues. But at this rate, you know, it's entirely possible they could have just left them set there. So I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, now, I mentioned earlier in the intro, you are with Artists in Attraction as both an entertainer and an agent. Let's talk briefly about the entertainment side. You perform and you've created attractions. Tell us about the acts you've performed and, and give us a little of your entertainment background. Well, on the, on the entertainment side, um, the first show that I started with was a show called Team Rock. Um, it was a martial arts extreme breaking team. Um, feels like many moons ago, uh, I set some world records with breaking bricks with my body and um then uh, partnered up with a bunch of other uh, world champions and national champions. And we started doing shows all over the world um, just to have fun. Uh, did a bunch of stuff for churches and, you know, eventually I find myself at a fair and then the next fair and the next fair and, you know, just kind of got things going. Um, and so we had a ton of fun with that show. Um, it was one of those that those who bought it, um, 
you know, it was, it was never priced correctly uh, to the fair's benefit. So uh, we spent about as much money as what they paid us to in material in every show. And then everyone basically worked for free, but it was fun. It was just, a, it was meant to be a hobby, but um, then that turned into more of a show, which eventually became the Ninja experience. Um, and the Ninja experience slowly started wrapping up all things Ninja. So um, depending on what your age is, uh, you have your own idea of what a ninja is. Um, if you're, if you're, I'm going to say a senior, you know, if your, your, your idea of a ninja was, you know, uh, Bruce Lee, um, puff of smoke and they're gone, drop people dropping out of trees. You know, if you're a little younger than that, you eventually get into like the Ninja Turtles and, you know, Jackie Chan and, and it, it just keeps going and eventually you end up with Power Rangers and, and so that show, and if you get young enough, then it became American Ninja Warrior. So that's really what that show ended up turning into. Um, it's kind of wrapping all things Ninja, but uh, with a primary focus on the Ninja Warrior courses, because that's just really popular and very current. Um, so that was the first show. Um, we later created a show called Max Power. Um, Max is a nine foot tall, five foot wide walking, talking robot. Um, it's a it's meant to be a comedy show our idea with creating max was to create a a character that looked like a cartoon character come to life um, we wanted him to be friendly and fun and um, uh, something that people felt like they could just walk up to and and interact with so from there we ended up doing even more we got into the bmx and motorcycle stunt shows and started producing monster truck shows and uh, parkour shows and there's kind of a long list but i would say our primary focus uh, at this point for me is really the robot um, the ninja shows are still out when they have a new owner now and he's doing a great job with the show and so uh, for me i just basically primarily focus on just the the max power show now when you set out to create max obviously there were other robot acts in the industry um, you know from smaller remote control robots like oscar um, to very large costume robots like rocket it's a moderately, it seems to be a moderately crowded field with some fairly good quality competition. How do you differentiate Max in that environment? Well, Max was never created with the intention of putting him in the fair industry, oddly enough. Hmm. Um, the idea of creating Max was done on a missions trip in the country of Albania, where we were doing the ninja show uh, to share the gospel. And in that process, we were trying to, we were just on a street corner in a very public area. And um, we were trying to figure out ways that we could just draw a crowd quickly. And over there, they're very techy. And as I was, something popped up, I think as I'm sitting in the hotel one night um, and uh, something popped up about um, a robot or something, I'm like, you know, I wonder if we couldn't create something that would be portable, that I could fly around the world and I would do something to get attention. And then once we got the crowd, then we could you know, move into the other portions of the show that we were doing. And so that's really what Max got, kind of got his start. Of, well, we started putting him together, I think it was in 2009, mentally, but we waited much longer before we actually brought him to life. Um, and so I, the, the real story was is that uh, Pam Daniger, who was with the, uh, the Virginia State Fair, she comes up to me and she goes, I heard you have a robot. I'm like, well, I do. <laughs> And she's like, I want that robot. I'm like, well, it's not available. She goes, Kyle, I want that robot. <laughs> so wow. that, that's really what caused me to say yes to the first fair was I'm like, I guess I'll bring it out once or twice, you know? And it was like, and it 
And that's just what started it. Um, people came up and approached me as they seen it and said, Hey, we'd love to have it. And I said, all right, we're going to start making it available in the fair industry. You responded so, to the demand of the industry. And I mean, yeah. I've seen Max at, at conventions. I haven't, I think I've yet to work with Max at, actually out at a fair. We just, you know, you and I have different routes throughout the year. Is mm-hmm. it challenging um, being in a costume that is, you know, big and bulky and heavy like that? Is it challenging being outside when it's so hot out? Yeah, at some point, um, there is probably at some point a risk factor. Um, I don't know that we've fully dialed that in yet. Um, you know, you have to, I have a handler. Um, one thing I, that I personally choose to do is I actually pay a staff person to travel with me. And so they, they function as my security guy who would appear to be somebody that the fair may be provided, but he's really my staff person um, because I do um, silly, dumb dad jokes. And, and, you know, it's almost like the knock, knock who's there, not literally, but like, I'll say something, he responds with a program, you know, he knows to respond a certain way. And it's like, I'm talking back and forth with him, which then leads into the joke. Um, so he's really part of the shtick, but, um, because I've got him, uh, with me all the time, um, I'm able to, I can say things or have a certain movement without anyone having a clue. And I'm communicating with him kind of how I'm doing, you know, the costume is, uh, it's, it's heavy and, you know, like any big costume, um, you know, you wear the ice vest and you do the things that you can do to try to stay cool. But yeah, temperature can be a real, uh, a real game changer, um, for the length that a person can really stay out. And sometimes length is never a decision made, uh, based on a clock. Um, there, your head, you might be saying, Hey, we need to get back in, but yeah, there's a demanding crowd who doesn't want you to leave. So, and you, you know, all about that. It's like, and so you gotta, you gotta pick those windows. And when you get that window, you just gotta take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So back to your, um, your agency side, you work with Bobby McLam and at Artisan Attractions. Can you talk briefly about the services you all provide as agents? Sure. So Artisan Attractions is a full um, talent agency. Uh, we do everything from ground attractions to um, talent buying um, from concerts. Whether and it doesn't really matter what that concert would be, whether it's rock, country, R and B, um, your typical national music stuff. Um, we do a lot with tribute uh, events as well. Um, and we're a full service agency. So we're not just the agency that, that you can, you can call and say, Hey, we really want to get this. And we say, okay, we'll make it happen. We are that we do make it happen. But then further from there, uh, we provide a, um, at no cost, um, we provide a service that goes along with that. So, um, what that really means is that, you know, when, when, when somebody is using our agency to purchase, um, entertainment, they're never going to pay me or the agency a fee for the services that we provide. Um, it's just something we do that's very unique. Um, and uh, we, you know, when we have concerts, places, you know, we will send one of our people to be at that concert. We're gonna make sure that we're, we're providing all of the amenities and often we'll even pick up the acts from the airport and we'll take care of the rental vehicles to make sure we can get people to and from and we make sure that everything's coordinated. Uh, and those are all things that we as an agency provide that's actually, you know, I feel like it's an above and beyond and then there's no charge for that. Um, because that's just part of what we do. Sure. Now, with all that you just talked about, from your experience as an entertainer to the agency itself, all of that, just like many of us, we've gotten beaten senseless in 2020. And of course, part of the reason we started this whole podcast was to tell our industry's 2020 story. 
looking back to earlier in this year, was there a point that you realized this virus was going to have a serious long-term effect on our industry? Yeah, I think like a lot of the guests have said, it was like, I think everyone was hopeful. Um, I think people have been hopeful that, you know, this was going to be a three week shutdown and then we'd be fine. And it was like, well, it's only going to be a you know, an extra month. And then it was only going to be like, well, hopefully by the end of spring. And then all of a sudden you start realizing that the, the bulk of the nation, which is, you know, does their, their fares, if we're sticking on the fair market, you know, the, the bulk of the fares are happening July through October. And so you start looking at, oh, we're going to miss the first month. Are we going to miss the half? And then it's at, at some point you're going, you know, what is it going to look like now when we have a fair that does happen? You know, how are we going to be able to get the entertainers to be willing, even though, and everyone's, everyone's hungry, right? Everyone needs work and everyone's, uh, you know, without, been basically without any kind of income. Um, the, the government, uh, unfortunately, was not uh, the entertainer side of the industry, uh, as you well know. Um, we fell in this gray area under all of these relief plans. Yeah. Uh, we were not eligible for things that others were. You hear these awesome stories of people making this, you know, serious bank, you know, uh, to stay home and sit on a couch. Well, you know, while the rest of us are applying and getting denied, you know, that's just, uh, that was part of the game. And um, so you find out, you know, you're, you're midsummer, uh, you're, you're late summer, you find some fairs are going to happen. And they're in like my home state of Iowa, for example, we had some fairs here that did, did happen. It was awesome. I got to go to some, it was a, it was nothing better than getting off the couch, you know, and, and being able out and doing what we love to do and be present at a fair. But um, you got entertainers are like living in Georgia, they're living in Florida, and they've got one lone fair that's going to happen. So now what, you know, and they're right. looking at their contract, and maybe it's a $5,000 contract or an $8,000 contract or whatever it is. And they're going, well, you know, if it's an animal show, they're saying it's going to cost me 10 grand to pay for my permits just to get out of the state and get to that location and fuel and home. And the contract was for 10 grand. Well, you know, what does that look like? Well, it looks like me leaving my part-time job that I just finally got to put food on the table for me to go work for a whole week, plus three days up, three days back driving, loading all the animals. And then what, um, for basically making zero money. And then, trying to negotiate, you know, trying to help the fairs understand the circumstances that these acts were, you know, they were, that's a rock and a hard place because on one hand, yeah, they, they want to, they want to perform more than anyone will ever understand. Yep. But at the same token, they're going to, it's going to cost me more money to go than if I just stayed home. Yep. Well, and we talked to a bunch of fair managers that were in that same exact position with the fair itself where, you know, they're doing, running their models and they're looking at what happens if we're at 70% attendance, what about 60? What about 50? And all of them are looking at it going, you know, we've got to be at 85, 90% attendance or to really to start making profit. That's where the profit kicks in for them because, you know, these aren't quadrillion dollar industries that we're in. They've got to make their money too. And so when they're running their models, they're just saying it makes more sense to cancel and roll our whatever budget we have, roll it to 21 and help make sure that we bridge through this thing to get to 2022. Is it difficult for you as an, as an agent to have to make that call when you get the call from the fair that says, Hey Kyle, you know, listen, we're the such and such County fair. And you know, we had 50 grand booked with you or whatever, but we're canceled. Is it tough for you to have to then turn around and make that call to the act and say, listen, it's not going to happen. 
Yeah, I think initially it became it, it was it was really heartbreaking. Um, you know, I have at my disposal the axe route. I have at my disposal the history of the act in regards to I know that ABC Act really needs about X number of days a year to be able to even make this act stick around. Otherwise, they're going to have I mean, they're better off to go get a job at a local whatever. And, um, you know, because that's the, the, the reality is some acts can play multiple some acts can play multiple genres as far as you know they can they can play the theater world they can play the libraries they can do this they can do that then there's other ones where like they're they're they happen to be an act that fits this industry of the fair but that's about it and that's really all they can do and so you 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 know them they're your they're your family in essence you know we we i always say that you know we don't have a bunch of acts we just have a very large family within artists and attractions and, and i really mean that and i think bobby says it all the time himself and is that we know, we know their everything, you know, we, we know their personal lives and, and their kids and their, 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 you know, obligations and expenses and whatnot, and because, because we're close. And so we kind of know where the, where it's going to start to hurt. And so if they need, you know, 75 dates on the books and you're looking at their route going, if they lose this fair, they're going to be right at that 75, but then they lose the next one. And now they're, now they can't pay their bills. Now what's that look like? And so those initial phone calls were really hard to make. And I'm like, I just, you know, and it felt like that we were getting them, um, you know, they were, it felt like I was getting multiples of those a day for a, for a long time. Um, you know, a lot of my clients, I, you know, I handle a lot of the Midwest stuff in the central part of the United USA. And so I had a lot of June, July, uh, August fairs, a huge bulk of my clients are in that area. And so, yeah, I was getting, you know, when you got 60, 70, 80 fares in that category, you're like, that's a lot of phone calls to make to every one of the acts that they've got. So yeah, especially when you've got, you know, dozens of acts that are booked across all of those, those fares. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some, uh, you know, we have some of our clients where we have 10 grounds acts, for example, at one fair, you know, that's a buddy of mine. Uh, we've become good friends and, you know, they do a lot of entertainment at their fair. And so, yeah, so that one phone call from, from him, equal 10 phone calls that had to go out to say, Hey, I'm really sorry guys, but this one isn't going to happen either. I know some entertainers, we touched on it briefly a few minutes ago, um, have been able to, we're able to get some of the paycheck protection or be able to go on their state's unemployments. Of course, everything varied by state, but then a lot of folks who weren't able to qualify for any of that stuff had to start businesses themselves in the interim, you know, freight companies and such has, Artists and attractions been able to do anything to generate revenue for their for your company, um, be it some sort of side hustle or even like was A able to get any paycheck protection or anything like that? How does how does an agency survive the shutdown? So um, I I believe the answer, and I'm speaking a little out of turn here, but I believe the answer is no. There was no um, there was no um, uh, paycheck protection and that kind of thing um, due to um, uh, the state that, you know, being North Carolina is where the, the company is out of and things were a little bit more difficult there than other places in the state, in the, in the U S um, and for the most part um, we've tried to put all of our focus into doing our best to love on our clients. Um, you know, for us, we understand that this is a way that we make money, but I don't think there's a single person that works with us whether it's, I feel the same about our acts and I feel the same about all the agents. Um, 
I don't think any of us got into this industry because we've seen it as a, as a, as a cash machine. Right. You know, I think all of us got into this. I mean, I was born in this industry. And so, um, and I think all of us came to this industry through some sort of a, of a, a lineage uh, that, that drew us here. And so, you know, whether that we were, whether it was somebody like some of our agents were fair managers, some of us were like me, I was a, a child of a fair board member. That's how the whole thing started. And then I became a fair board member myself. And, and um, you know, so we have this love for fair and this. And so um, when, when this whole thing hit rather than, you know, for us, we were fortunate enough that we were in a financial position that we could, we could just basically sit back and say, well, we're going to suck it up and tough through it. And, um, we just try to do our very best to just love on our clients and help them get through it. And, you know, there's many, many times I sat on the phone for over an hour with one of the clients who basically wanted to be a shoulder for them to cry on because they were hurting. They were hurting because they had to tell the rest of their community that they work all year long for that one week or that one fair that, you know, 10 days or whatever it is. And they had to tell their, their entire community that the one thing that their, that their community has to look forward to potentially is not going to happen. And, you know, uh, I, I know, I remember having a conversation with my dad, um, you know, he's been a fair board member since uh, I was two years old um, and I'm 40 now. So, I mean, he's 38 years on a board and he still hasn't lost the love for the fair and he hasn't lost the power and the passion. And so, you know, he puts his, his, his entire world other than, I mean, other than his daily job, it's the fair. And so right. you work all year long to do that. And then all of a sudden, just like that, it's gone. So yeah, we spent a lot of time just, I felt like in some aspects, I felt like we were counselors, you know, and that's just what we did. Yeah. I mean, it's been a real challenging, um, it's been a challenging year. Listen, so we spoke with Jeremy Parsons recently on the show. Of course, you know, Jeremy, because he's from the Clay County Fair there in Spencer. In Iowa. Uh, in, in Iowa. It's colder and where he lives. It's, yeah. <laughs> he... He talked about his goal for their fair was just to roll over 2020 contracts to 2021. Are you finding that's the case with most of the fairs in the industry? Yeah, I would say as a general rule, that's what's happening. Um, there are uh, many exceptions to the rule. Um, there was a point where, um, and we would never want to like... I'm going to, I'm going to share this on this podcast, but I think it's just, a, it's, it's more of a logistical point, not really what we wanted to happen, but there was a point through this process of this pandemic that we got late enough in the season. We're like, I just almost wish everyone would just cancel because it would be almost simpler at that point to say everything for 2020 becomes 21 and done right now. Obviously we, none of us wanted that to physically happen. I mean, we want any fair to happen. It could, but there was a point that was like, that would make it the easiest. Um, there were some fairs that were super fortunate. They had their fair. So what happens then? Well, you know, a lot of my clients book two and three years out. It's not uncommon for people that, that, that I work with that we've already got their stuff for next year and the year after already taken care of. And we maintain that. Um, so if ABC fair happened this year, they already had 2020, 2021 already booked. So they're then expecting to go ahead and have their 2021 acts show up because they've already got them on the calendar the problem with that is that that fair this year the same week didn't happen where that what that act was this year who now wants to roll it over but then the other fair is saying well we already have a contract we want to have them and as a general rule i would love to applaud how this industry has handled dealing with those 
unique situations. Sure. Um, I've watched fairs say, you know what? They had them first and they didn't get to have them. And you know what? We don't want them to not be able to have them. So if we can just move it one year, let's just bump all of our stuff. And can you find me some acts that currently have holes that week of our fair for 2021? And we will take what we can get so that everybody else who already was supposed to have them can still have them. And I, I heard that multiple times on the fairs that did happen this year. And I was just, it really touched my heart because it's like, that's why this industry is so awesome is because we understand that it's not just about us. It's not, it's not a, it's not a me show. It's, it's an industry as a whole. And they literally with open arms said, you know what, I'm going to share. And, and I just thought that was so awesome. Yeah. I mean, obviously the hope would be for those acts that were canceled in 2020, that they're able to return in 2021, but acts took some acts that were out there took real hit this year. I mean, if you, we've spoken with concessionaires who were at fairs that canceled an hour later, you know, and their stock trucks were full, their food was on hand. They'd already had those expenses, no different than the fairs that canceled very early in this had already spent their marketing budget. Their dollars were already spent. If you, I think it's easy to forget that for entertainers, a lot of entertainers who were at those fairs that were, you know, like if you were at Houston and they canceled three days in, if you, you already had your hotel expenses covered, you'd already paid for your gas to get to that venue. How do you think that looks moving forward for entertainers who were left holding, you know, some entertainers probably had thousands of dollars in expenses and then got told, sorry, force majeure, we're canceling. And they were left with nothing but expenses. How do you think that looks for our industry moving forward with entertainers? Well, there's a lot of conversations being had right now. And um, sometimes through the, the, the nasty and the ugly of life, when, when these kind of things that you just never would have dreamed of, um, positive things can come out of it. And, and I think that people are trying to find the good in this. Um, but what I really uh, am hearing probably more than any, and, and not just within our own agency, I'm hearing it uh, probably industry-wide at this point, is trying to figure out how do we, as, an, as the entertainment industry, how do we protect ourselves from just that? Uh, I, you know, I shared with you before we went live uh, here, and you know, we had a situation myself where I had a show that we drove it all the way to Florida from Iowa, and we flew all of our entertainers in from all over, including, you know, from Canada um, to do a show. And I had $7,000 in that show. We were fully set up. And then we, you know, five minutes after we were set up, we're told, Hey, you need to tear it back down. We're, we're now closed, you know, and that's $7,000 that I spent that I'll never get back. You know, that's just, right. it just was what it was. It was an expense, just like you're saying. Um, so I think that, it, you know, and I know, I know countless stories of those that happened this year where acts drove all the way across the country or, you know, halfway across the country to find out upon arrival or almost there that this happened. So I think the thing that potentially we're going to see and that, you know, the fairs will probably need to start preparing for the reality. Um, acts are saying we don't have the ability to eat that expense on a regular basis. We just can't take that risk. And we now, um, you know, the term that keeps getting thrown out is the, the cancel culture, right? And I keep hearing that. And, you know, it, really at, at any point in time, there is the reality that just like that, a fair or a venue can be shut down. We, 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 we've kind of set a new standard where somebody could start a protest or a whatever. And, you know, because they're, they're, ha they're, they're mad because all the rides go in circles. 
and they wish they didn't go in circles. And so now they're going to have a, you know, a, whatever they're going to do. And next thing you know, a venue has been impacted. And so um, things that I'm hearing is things like a stair-stepped, um, a stair-step payment, um, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, a non-refundable deposit, maybe potentially the stair-step payment concept that I keep hearing about is, you know, once you get within so many days of the fair, this is the amount that is agreed that will be paid regardless. Um, you know, once the act has left the last venue or their home to head to that fair, that, you know, then, then there's a new stair step of what they will be guaranteed in, in payment for, for taking the risk to jump in the vehicle and go to the fair. Um, once they've arrived on the ground, that becomes another stair step of mm-hmm. payment. And, you know, there's this, there's a fear within the, within the entertainers that I'm hearing is like, they all, you know, I'm hearing a lot of them say, I don't want to, I don't want to wrap everybody by saying they all are saying this because I don't, obviously I haven't talked to all entertainers in the U S but, um, but the, the one fear is, is that, you know, as a, because there's not a standard that, um, has currently been established that anybody that says, I'm going to put this in my, my contractor, my rider, you know, what's the repercussions that the, are the venues going to be understanding of what they're going to have to go through, you know, um, or the venue's going to say, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to avoid using you. You know, that's right. the, that's the constant thing. And, and there's, it's an unknown. Um, well, uh, I tend to think that regardless, this isn't just, you know, grounds acts that we're talking about, you know, are we going to all start saying, Hey, we need a 15% deposit. Uh, I think you're going to see all your major headliners are going to go out there too. And it's, there's going to be some really ironclad language in those contracts for your headliners that, that enforce things. Well, and, and that once you get in the upper levels, as you step into the 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 Nashville, uh, I'm going to refer to it as the Nashville Act, you know, National Music Act, or uh, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of those things are already in play. Um, there's, you know, there's um, things that you know we as an agency will do to um, to guarantee the date. Uh, we're, we're, when, when we tell them that this date is solid that we're moving forward, take the date off your, you know, put the date on your books and don't accept any other offers. Um, you know, we're guaranteeing that this is going to happen. And then we have to, you know, and then, and then the, when the, when the fair ends up paying, you know, they're for the act or whatever, then our it's handled or whatnot. And it doesn't run through me, but you know, we're, we're basically in essence are guaranteeing that. And so we're seeing it commonly in the, in the upper levels, but in the lower levels, it's a little bit different story, which is not, it's just not being done in a large quantity. I've heard of uh, I've heard of some acts that that tried to push the envelope this year with COVID. They said, "Hey, um, I don't have force majeure in my contract, which means I expect you to still pay me." Um, I've heard some stories of some, of that happening in the industry, and it's unfortunate uh, in some aspects. I mean, I understand the act wanted to protect themselves and and their financial, uh, you know, what well being, but. You know, that's it's really caused some conversations. And I think that we're going to see people being a little bit more. I think the fairs and the venues are going to be a little bit more. Um, they're going to read contracts a little bit closer in sure. regards to that. It's force majeure in here. What have you know, because the fair doesn't want to get stick with a $15,000 bill for a fair that didn't happen for an act that refuses to let that go. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of new conversations that are going to happen between the, the agency or the act and the, the client, the, the fair, the venue um, in regards to that. 
do you think, and you know, not speaking specifically about, you know, the big name, like you say, the Nashville acts, but as far as our grounds acts, and we know who they are in this industry, you know, they're the Max, the robot, the lady Houdini, Sea Lion Splash, Condor Fortune Machine. We all stand around those trade shows meeting people. We all know who each other are. Do you think that there's going to be acts that started 2020 in business and start 21 out of business? Absolutely. I already know of some. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a reality. I heard a uh... I heard of some unfortunate stories um, from within the industry, um, people who have reached out um, that have said, Hey, this is my situation. What do you think I should do? You know, they, you know, they call me personally and say, you know, I know you're an agent, but I also know you're an act. So can you give me some advice? You know um, one of the things I think it's pretty common that I don't know if the fair, if the, if the fair boards and management management staff, kind of know that I don't know why we all do it, but I think it's, I think it's pretty common. Um, we work all year to make our money. And then at the end of the year, um, you've got this little nest egg that's left over, right? And that's the money that we've got to use to get through the winter, if you will, the, the downtime, that's our non-working time. And we've got to use that. Um, you know, I think there's some people will say, well, why don't you go get a job? It's like, well, you could, but very few people want to hire you knowing that you're only going to be there for a month and then you're going to leave again. And then, right. or you, you're here this week and go on the next and like you're in and out and you, you become undesirably hireable. Uh, you know, it's not something right. they don't want to put on their staff. So you, you so the, the whole getting a side job isn't as easy as it sounds. Um, and so you have to be able to make enough in the, in the year to be able to get through the downtimes. So we get this little nest egg. And then you work through your season or your off season and you get really close to going back on the road again. And so then you take that extra money. You're looking at that going, man, I've got this much extra and I've really wanted to do this to my show. And I wanted to improve this. and I want to get this new and I want to fix this up and I want to, you know, I need a new truck or I, whatever that is. And I think it's pretty common that we then take that nest egg. What, you know, we kind of figure what we're going to need to get on the road again and, you know, leave a little bit of a slush fund, but then take the rest of it and invest it back right? And we dump that money into our shows and then that's okay. Cause in a couple of weeks we're hitting the road. Well, that's what happened this year. But then the couple of weeks we're hitting the road was, Oh, sorry, COVID just struck, but yet we just spent that nest egg. I've heard that story probably more than I can count from acts of like, I just invested all this money in my show and then I got shut down and now I don't have a nest egg anymore. Had I not spent that on my show, I could have lived on that. And so I know some stories where like, you know, there was payments due and they, the act called the bank and said, Hey, what can I do? I'm in trouble. And you know, our industry was shut down temporarily. We don't know how long. And the bank says, well, I'll give you three months and you know, and no problem. And then three months later, Hey, I'm still shut down. And the bank says, well, I need to get my stuff back. I know I've known of some situations where that happened. That's super unfortunate. Um, where now all of a sudden, you know, an act loses some of their gear or their vehicles and, they're like, I still want to work, but now I don't have anything to do it. And now that also hurt my credit. So now I can't go borrow more. Now what do I do? Right. So those kind of scenarios happen. Um, another big kicker for a lot of acts that I've heard from, um, a lot of the insurance policies that were wrote for the act involves liability. The fares require it. Um, some fair, you know, some insurance companies charge. This is another one of the back to the deposit. But like when you at when the fair says I want to be listed as additional insured and the county wants to be additional insured and Fred wants to be additional insured and Susie also and they give you a list of 20 things they want additional insured but the insurance company charges say 50 bucks for each additional insured the act ends up eating that and a lot of acts do that early on and they you know hurt them you know as far as they paid all that for this year and then COVID hit then 
but the insurance company doesn't pay that back. You know, I've heard stories they didn't get that money back. And right. you know what, your liability insurance, you're paying for that as a, as a prerequisite to the vehicle insurance that's tied to it and that kind of thing. So Axe said, I tried to shut my insurance down because we're not going to perform all year, but they won't let me shut it down. I have to still pay the $1,000 a month insurance because otherwise I'll lose insurance on all my inland marine and this and that. So that hit hard for some of these acts to a point where like that was there was there was no way to come back from that yeah so yeah it, it definitely is going to affect the industry in regards to number of acts is going to decrease yeah and i've often initially i thought very early on that you know some of the acts that aren't as successful in the industry that maybe they only do two or three fares a year you know they're not doing eight ten twelve fifteen fares a year that those smaller acts were the most vulnerable and as the years progressed and especially through doing the podcast, it's become really clear that some of the biggest, and I don't know if fairs understand this, some of the biggest acts in our industry could be the most vulnerable because if you think about it, that juggler only has to put his juggling stuff in a closet and get a job and get through this. But, you know, we had something like sea lion splash or, you know, Carla's Pacific animal productions or pig races, those acts have animals that still need to be fed. They still need veterinary care. They still have all those, all that overhead is still there and, but they've got no revenue to cover it now. And I think in some cases, some of the bigger acts could be vulnerable. I would agree. I think the, I think you're spot on. I would say the bigger the act, the more vulnerable they are. Um, they have bigger investments and also bigger payments. Um, you know, some people are very fortunate that everything they own is paid for and, you know, they just kind of sat down and waited this thing out and it stinks, but it is. Uh, other ones, uh, they're large, but they have a huge financial obligation to be the size that they are and the rigs that they run and, you know, what have you. And, um, you know, that that hurts for those acts. So, yeah, I think you're spot on with that. I think they're, they're probably the most vulnerable. I also think some of the smaller acts, I mean, if you're only doing two or three fares a year, it's a pretty safe bet. You do have a sideline something. Yeah. Um, and so there was at least a chance to be able to, to fall back on either unemployment and or your other profession or job is, is, is covering you while you're off. Whereas the bigger acts who are basically on the, you're on the road full time, if you will, they're, they were definitely more vulnerable. I would say. I keep up, I don't know if you do, but I keep up with a couple of the um, fair performers groups on Facebook and there seems to be on a couple of posts that I've read a feeling that when the fairs reopen, you know, we'll just all go back to work and everything will just be good to go again. But I don't think it's going to be that simple. Do you think it's just a matter of fairs getting the green light to reopen and boom, we're all back at it? You know, that I've just had this conversation with somebody recently, and I think it matters where you live uh, as far as where the venue is. Um, not talking politics in any way, shape or form, but if you're a state that leans more red, those fairs, the conversation that I have with them is like, we're ready to rock and roll. Give us a green light and we're ready to, well, we don't, we're, we're on, we're all on. If you tend to be from a state that leans more blue, uh, you talk with them and they're like, well, we're really, you know, we've got this we're worried about. And they've got, they've got a totally different perspective on, on what they're going to do. Um, we're seeing a large increase in requests for uh, 
the large strolling acts like Max um, because they are non-crowd gathering in regards to, you know, setting people in bleachers. Um, you know, fairs are looking at like what things can we have that can, that can provide the entertainment, but not necessarily force people into a uh, congregated um sit down long period of time exposure to somebody beside them, you know, to help with social distancing. So we're hearing that, you know, those kind of conversations in some areas of the country. Um, but yeah, I would say that, um, I would say there's, there's just going to be a, there's going to be a lot of rethinking yeah. that's going to have to go on. I agree. I think one of the challenges that that we're going to face, there was a, a post on one of those message boards about, or on one of the Facebook groups about, I think it was the Florida, Florida Strawberry Festival that announced that they were going to not have a grandstand for 2021. And they did that because exactly what you just said, there's a concern for, you know, how do we afford to pay one of these major acts to come in? You know, how do you af afford that when, you can only get that thing, you know, a quarter full at best because you have to then distance people. And does it make financial sense? And Paul Davis and the Florida Strawberry Festival decided not this year it doesn't. And so the feeling was they'll take that entertainment budget and maybe they'll do more on the grounds. And the feeling from this post was we had entertainers saying that they think that that's going to be a trend. I'm actually looking at it differently. I think that what Paul and Florida strawberry festival are doing maybe the exception because one thing I think we're not maybe seeing as entertainers and agents is that moving forward for the next 18 to 36 months, I think there's going to be, even if fairs reopen, there's going to be less bandwidth for us to operate in meaning fairs that had as an example, a hundred thousand dollar entertainment budget mainly have a $60,000 entertainment budget now or $40,000 entertainment budget. So what do you think agents and entertainers need to do to navigate this situation? Well, I, I think that we all need to be mentally prepared that we're in this for a, a period of time yet. I don't think that I, I honestly don't think, I mean, on one hand, yes, I think fairs are going to open back up and there are going to be those areas that are they're ready to rock and roll. Um, there are those aspects. A lot of, uh, a lot of clients, uh, different fairs around the country utilize sponsorship money to help pay for their free entertainment, their grounds attractions. And it's hard to go ask the ABC tire shop to sponsor something again, when you know, the ABC tire shop has been closed for, you know, three quarters of a year yep. or, you know, whatever that, that business might be. Right. And so I think there's a potential of seeing a, ma a major downturn in sponsorship money, which means that there's a downturn in budget, which means that there's going to be a less entertainment they're going to be able to buy. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's a reality. I think that right now um, I would say there's, there is a glimmer of hope though, because most of the, at least most of my clients are rolling everything that they had before. They're not cutting. They're saying we're just going to roll it because they're rolling it that's the same budget they were working with initially. And they've, a lot of that money was already committed or it was already collected. So it's sitting there hopefully. And they have, you know, to be able to pay the expenses. Um, potentially after one good year, we might be very fortunate and not see the road bump in 2021 that we all just had to cross. So it was more of a mountain than I think the road bump uh, yeah. this year, but, but we may not have like, we might not go from mountain to hurdle to speed bump. We might, we might be fortunate and sneak through this because we are rolling over from an entertainer standpoint. Do I think that the fairs are going to, um, 
take a, a, a risk. Yeah. I think that they're definitely going to take a risk. I think that, you know, for anybody listening to the podcast, that's in the, the fair side of things. Um, they know that one of the questions, especially on the, on your grandstand national music act stuff, one of the things that every act, every, uh, artist says is how many people does a grandstand seat? How many seats are you going to put on the track or the seat, you know, down the, the, the ground area? And how much are you charging for each one of those seats? They run the math. You know, no entertainer wants to come in and work for $30,000 and see that the venue is going to make $500,000, but they right. only got paid 30. They're like, the whole reason that you made that was because of me. I want a piece of the pie. Right. And so then they, then they renegotiate what they're willing, you know, if you're, they look at those numbers and they're saying, we're willing to let you make some money, but we're not going to let you get rich off of what I do. And that's just the industry as it is. So um, when you start cutting 50% of the seats, you're going, well, there, there's maybe a 30% margin of, of profitability or a 20% margin of profitability, like you were saying earlier, that if you sell out, you're going to have a 20% pro margin of profit and the fair can, can utilize that going into next year. You cut those seats back or we reduce the number of people that can sit there. There is a point where you can't afford the venue, but that potentially is also the big event of the, of the whole fair that puts the money in the pocket for going forth for the following year. Right. And so you lose the big money maker and then all you had was expenses and a little bit of gate money or whatever. So there, there could be some trickle down effect moving forward where fairs that we're doing five ground acts a year, then they may be able to stomach that for 2021. But then depending on how people show up or don't show up, they may say, we got to drop to three or we got to drop to two going into 2022. Right. Um, Do you think it's possible? I mean, I was thinking, you know, being a baseball fan, you know, we were talking about field of dreams earlier it's free agency time right now. So everybody's talking about, you know, Trevor Bauer and contracts. And, and I think about how baseball players and, and professional athletes structure their contracts. Sometimes the money is, you know, heavier on the front end or heavier on the back end, or there's incentives, whatnot. Do you think it's possible that attractions, and I'm not talking like, you know, a, a bit, I'm not talking Lady Gaga and main stage stuff. I'm talking you and I, the smaller grounds level stuff that maybe we look at restructuring contracts, you know, maybe as an example to make sure that fairs can get through 2021. You know, if there's a two-year deal, maybe you, there's deferred money. Maybe you take 85% in the first year and then roll the balance to the second year to help fairs bridge into 2022. I think that's a pretty interesting concept. Um, for, for Because I've sat on the fair board for a number of years and and i work with these fair boards uh, you know across the country um there are some situations where you've got one person making all the decisions and you know they're a manager they've been placed in that role or they're the entertainment director they've been placed in that role and they get a budget and they get the ability to, to, to negotiate uh the contracts however they can somebody like that may potentially be able to say, Hey, if you could do this, we would give you a multi-year contract. And then, you know, and, and we would do, you know, we would structure it. I would say probably nationwide, the most common scenario is you've got 10, 15, 20, 30 people sitting around a room trying to all agree on something. And so, um, we used to joke that like, there was a point at our board meetings back in the day, like, once it hit 2 a.m., we needed to say enough was enough for the night. You know, like and I, right. I hit some of those 2 a.m. nights uh, trying to trying to make a decision on something. And so um, 
sometimes too many options. Uh, and this would be my advice, I guess, to the, to the artist would be sometimes too many options just becomes too chaotic because even though they, even though a fair uh, may desire some, some, some flexibility and options, um, the, the reality is, is trying to get their entire team of people to also agree on yeah, what they should be, do with those options. That's so, usually the challenge is getting everybody on board. So yeah. maybe like you said, um, that might be something that's easier at a fair where it's the entertainment director and maybe like one or two people that are putting it all together. But if you've got the whole board, 18, 19 members, 30 members, whatever it is, that's, that may just be too much to that yeah. to handle. You know what, you know, going back to one of your previous podcasts with, uh, with Kevin Ridgeway, um, you know, his comment, um, and I think it's, it's a, it's a really well said uh, example was, you know, how many times do you watch a movie that was really good? You know, that, that whole thing. And, right. and it's like, you know, yeah, one of my favorite movies is Top Gun, right? So I could watch that movie over and over. I can quote it, right? Yeah. Um, and when you have an act that, that you bring in and that act does really well for the, for the venue and people go home and after the fair is all done and they're talking about that act and they're people like, Oh, I never seen that. I wish I could have seen it. And it's like, well, the next year then that fair brings that same act back. It's like, I want to go see it again. And even, and, and I think that, you know, maybe along the point of your, of your question, um, potentially, you know, I would anticipate, um, I'm going to guess that we are going to see a industry-wide pricing structure change going forward because so many acts have been the same price since the 1980s or 90s. And that same act is out there and they've really never changed their price, but a few dollars or if any, and they've always been, you know, in essence, paycheck to paycheck, but they've always gotten by right. no, no big deal. This year, for the first time, they realize what happens when you don't have where you, where you haven't been able to put enough money away to get through the what ifs. And we just had a massive what if. Yes. And um, so I, I anticipate coming going forward probably sooner than later, uh, based on so many conversations I've had with uh, different artists across the country, is that I would assume that going forward, we're going to see an increase in, in financial obligation um, to, to hire that act. Um, so ways that fairs potentially can, can save some money um, would be to do potentially a multi-year contract where they're locking in a price. Right. Um, uh, you know, some of the, some of my clients out West and, you know, I know you do a lot of stuff in the West cause you're out there. Um, but some of my clients out in the Montana, Idaho, you know, Western part of the country, the neighboring fair can be 500 miles away. Um, yep. Quite literally. Right. You know that you, yep. you're out there we're like, spread out out here in the West. Right. And, you know, and I play fairs out there myself. And so it's like, well, this is great. I'm going from one fair to the next. They're neighboring fairs. It's like, oh, it's a two day drive. It's, uh, <laughs> it is. No lie. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, um, but, you know, there's also something to be said about fairs that start working together. Um, I know when I was on the board uh, here in Iowa, um, we knew that the Red River Valley uh, up in um, Fargo, they were there, they always did their country night on Wednesday night. And we always did our country night at our fair on Thursday night. So we would chat with them saying, hey, guys, who are you looking at? Maybe we can get the same act. We necessarily create a route so I can go to Brad Paisley and say, hey, Brad, we'd like to have you. And I know you're asking this, but if we could give you two different locations and they're routed, would you do both of ours for X, right? Um, when, you, when, when fairs and venues start working together to help create a route for an act, they have a much better chance of getting um, 
getting um you know a better pricing in essence or the act i know a lot of acts will say hey i plan that you know if my, if my fee was 1500 a day for my show for example uh and i've i've accounted that I've, on average about 200 or 100 dollars a day is fuel that that's really what kind of if you do the math that way and if i if you're going to route me and i i literally can take what i would have spent in fuel and in essence give you that in savings cuz my take home would be the same right. because you're giving me a multi location route yeah and i don't have to go find it and you know so those are some ideas that really can save some fair the fares some some money that the fair or the acts are in essence just passing on the savings to the fair that they're not taking on as an expenditure absolutely and you know that's something i've talked to a handful of fairs about this over the years you know what you're talking about is a cooperative buying program and and within campus activities with college entertainers They've been doing this for decades. I remember umpteen years ago when I was in college, it's, it's been a few hairs since then. Um, we would, you know, with campus activities, let's say there's a, a hypnotist that our campus, our school wanted to bring to, to, to do a show on campus. Well, I went to school at Eastern New Mexico University in Portales. Not far from that is Texas Tech in Lubbock. And not far from that is West Texas A&M in Amarillo. A lot of times those three schools would get together and go to the hypnotist who would say, you know, just as an example, maybe he charged $2,000 for a show, but we'd go and say, listen, we're going to get you three shows in five days. And he would charge 1850 as an example. I think the same thing can be said for acts. I mean, we've all know what our rates are, but like you said, if an act is $1,500 a day, but three fairs walk up to them at the trade show and say, Hey, these guys, this guy's the first two weekends of July. I'm the next two weekends of July. And then you're going to go the last weekend of July, the first week in August, we're going to get you 30 days, but we don't want to spend 1500, you know, and the act says, well, I can do that for 1400. I can do that for, you know, now you're knocking out 30 days just like that. I mean, you think cooperative buying could become more of a thing for fairs to save money. I do. Um, I think that, you know, the one time, every time you start talking about this, so especially in the agency side, um, you know, agents are, are, are paid um, commission for the for the booking and the the paperwork processing, right? So, um, so whenever you're talking about less money, it's really easy for an agent to go, well, wait a minute, that means that I'm going to take home less, and so now, so I've heard other agents like who have said like, no, we don't want this to happen because this could be, this is gonna this is gonna hurt my bottom line of what I'm gonna profit. Um, I, and I, and I get that and in some, in some aspects, I could see why, you know, for an agent that that could be very challenging and troubling. Um, speaking specifically about ourselves at, at our attractions, um, one of the things that, you know, because we're so family oriented with all of our people that we represent, um, I would rather our people not have to do crazy jumps, 12, 15, 18 hours in one day to, to make it to the next fair. I would love that they could, they could roll in fresh and they're going to put on an amazing performance because they only had a 200 mile jump or a, right. you know, a 45 mile jump or whatever. Um, and that little bit of a difference financially. And like, if that's going to break, break me, then I, might be in the wrong, you know, I mean, yeah, it might be in trouble anyway. You know, so. And I've talked to acts that are like, Nope, my rate is my rate. And I mean, I, me personally, I've had fairs roll up to me and say, Hey, this fairs the week after me. And they're interested in you too. Is there a deal you could do? I'll work with fairs. I mean, I'm not going to give away the farm and all of a sudden make it, you know, not make sense financially for, for me to do that. But 
I guess everybody comes from their, you know, their own way. Speaking of, you know, we're all standing at those trade shows trying to get booked and meet people and, and network. How do you think trade shows look moving forward? Do they continue to look like they have where we're aisles up and down and booths everywhere? Or maybe do we more move to more of a hosted buyer environment? Are you familiar with, with hosted buyer sessions? Uh, I am. Um, I think that our industry is so personal and I hope and pray that that never changes. Um, we're an industry that, you know, for a long time, uh, a, a deal was made by a handshake and, and that was, that was all that was needed. And it was, you know, and, and other than from a legal standpoint that we've, we've went to the, we went to contracts, but I really think that from my experience with my clients, I, most of them are like a word is good enough. You say it's good and it's good. And so because we have such great relationships with each other uh, across the board industry wise, um, I kind of hope that it doesn't change. Um, you know, there's, there's a fear that we, you know, you know, the story, there's always that one guy who is an act who is just, he wants or she wants so desperately to get as much work as possible or, or whatnot that they, in essence, will put on the football pads and tackle every person that walks down the aisle, yep. trying their darndest to put their material in someone's hands. And, and you, you, you know, as an agency, we try, like, I know personally, I try very hard when I see that, like, I get it. I remember when we were hoping to get just a few, a few fares, you know, um, but helping them understand that this is a, an industry that, you know, it is a process, you know, you're going to get some work and that'll be fine, but it's about relationships. And, um, I really am like, I cannot wait to wrap my arms around my friends again. I can't wait to, to be able to, to give somebody a big hug and go shake hands and to just be back in the norm. Um, I really hope that when we regather again as an industry, that, instead of us focusing on, you know, the trade shows, there's, there's the whole thing of like, uh, you know, and, and to the fair people, we understand why your badge is backwards. We understand. <laughs> yes. We, we, get it. We, we know those tricks, you know, like, uh, but, but the, but the reality is I would say the majority of the people in that room, if they're really are there for the right reason, they're there to be able to show you what they've got. And if you're not interested, you're going to walk by. And we understand that, you know, whether you're not interested in an agency, you're not interested, interested in an act, uh, and that's okay because you have something as an, as a fair that you're looking for. And maybe a nine foot tall robot, isn't that right? right? So, uh, and that's okay. Um, but I really hope as, that as we gather again, that people will go, Hey, I'm really just want to connect with my friends. I want to connect with people that I used to see that I really missed. That used to be like the highlight of my year. And I, I want to go back to that. And so, yes. yeah, that's what I'm hoping. And for me, that's my thing. Um, there's one, uh, I just, you know, Texas is still planning on having their convention this year as of right now. And um, at last I heard and, you know, Bobby called the other day and goes, hey, what's your plans? Do you want to go down to Texas? Because him and I tend to do that one together. Sometimes it's him one year. Sometimes it's me. It just varies. And I told him, I said, I want to go because I want to get out of the house. Yeah. Even if it's a new house and I love my house, yep. I'm just ready to go be normal again. Yeah, I spoke with Chris over email. Chris Shivers from the uh, Texas Association Affairs the other day on email talking about the convention and it's kind of up in the air for us. Maybe, maybe I'll run down there. I just, our restrictions in New Mexico right now are so wackadoodle. I just, you never know what this governor's going to come up with. So 
I, I'm hoping here, I think by the end of the week, we'll make a, a solid decision on it. Um, listen, we've talked a lot of business. Um, we're about getting towards being out of time, but before we do sign off, how are Katie and the kids holding up? Well, well, Derek uh, got to go hunting for the first time this week um, and he was able to fill his tag. So that was pretty exciting. Excellent. And, uh, I saw pictures. My wife is definitely enjoying having me home. Um, at least that's what I'm going to tell people on the podcast. I don't know if that's really <laughs> uh, Well, I, I, we're friends on Facebook. I might just message her and be like, what's up? Is he lying? Tell the truth. Yeah. So she, she has crossed off a large list of honeydews. So, you know, she's like, Hey, you're home and it's time for you to do your stuff. So, so yeah, but they're good. They're good. And, um, I think they're also ready to go, even though they're, they're more homebound now and Derek's in regular school and not on the road like they used to be with me full time. And, um, but even them, they're like, they're like, when are we going to go back to do, doing some fairs? Let's go back and see our friends. Let's get back on the road a little bit. So, right. Right. Well, listen, I appreciate you being on the show. Before we go, I ask every one of my guests a series of speed round questions. And so I've got a handful of questions for you. If you're ready, you just give me your best answer. I'll do my best. Question number one, corn dogs or turkey legs? Corn dog. What's your favorite thing about the fair? The people. Favorite concert you ever attended? I don't know that I have one of those. I've been to so many. I don't have a, I don't necessarily have one. Um, I can't give you one there. Neil McCoy is pretty amazing to watch. So he's probably one of my favorite. Awesome. Coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? Well, my running joke is I like my coffee. Like I like my kid because Derek is black and I adopted him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's then a I good get kid, man. He's a great kid. <laughs> he's awesome. And then my wife elbows me and she's like, you really shouldn't say that. I'm like, you're probably right. <laughs> and I'm not going to edit it off the podcast because he, listen, he is who he is and he's an amazing kid. And I know you guys absolutely love and adore him. Last he's question. If money was no issue, what's the first place you would travel after the pandemic ends? Oh, I don't have a good one there either. Um, we really like the, we really like the, uh, the near East. So we'd spent all, we've, we've traveled there a lot, uh, Turkey, Albania area, um, Eastern Europe. I wouldn't mind going there again. Cool. Listen, I appreciate you being on the show today, Kyle. If fairs want to reach out and get a hold of you and artists and attractions, where can they reach you? Well, you can reach me on email at kyle at artisanattractions.com. You can call me at 563-920-4794 or always on the web at uh, www.artisanattractions.com. Kyle Palmer, entertainer, agent for artists and attractions and all around, I think, hell of a good guy. Listen, Kyle, Sarah and Nate and I send you the very best. We hope you and your family have a very Merry Christmas. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, dude. It's great seeing you. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.